This is the Enter Sad Men Podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Welcome to Enter Sad Men. Uh, it's good to have your company on the latest stop-off point of our trek to create the Enter Sad Men Hall of Fame, containing 126 albums so far, um, and there will be three more added to this league table of excellence by the end of this episode of the pod. My name's Steve. My great mates and fellow headbangers, Mark and Richard, are with me virtually, as ever. Good evening, gentlemen. Evening. How are you? I'm very well, and hope Hopefully, you've had a good week, musically, a very good week, because I certainly have. You enjoyed it? Oh, it's been great. It's been absolutely great. Reunited with three albums that I haven't heard. Yeah, three albums that I haven't heard properly in, oh, God, too many years. Too many years. So, yeah, it's been a brilliant week. And it's interesting, Rich, isn't it? Because, I mean, we always do, you know, we love our music to bits, but it's very rare. I've really enjoyed it. I just think it's really rare that we get an album where we've had, a a week, sorry, where we've had three absolute bangers. Great albums. You You must have had a blast. Uh, yeah, it's uh, thoroughly enjoyed these three. They were inspired choices, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. The gormless, the gormless smiles sail. That's all. That's all I need to see. I'm a happy bunny. So yeah, if you don't know by now, what we do is we each pick an album based on a theme. Um, we cull those albums from between the dates 1970 to 1995, which is kind of neat because it's 25 years. But it's also our golden age of um, hard rock and heavy metal. Um, and yeah, we, we listen to these albums, we review them, we score them, and then we rank them in our Hall of Fame, wherever they fall. Um, and if you want to find out more about it, then um, go along to entersadmen.co.uk. You can see what we do, why we do it. Give us your thoughts, drop us a line, keep it clean. Well, cleanish. We got the highs of rhinos, but keep it cleanish. And just, yeah, let us know what you think about what we do. So, yes, to this theme. Well, I've called it Round and Round as an homage to Rat. Um, but basically, it happened upon things that spin. Am I right, Richard? And and that wasn't too daunting, was it? There were plenty to go at? I think so. Well, go on then, Mark. You break the ice. Tell us, um, tell us where you went and what you wound up with. Funnily enough, the most difficult thing was trying to find something that didn't really stretch the elastic too far. And I, I, I came down to a short list that included um, Rush's Roll the Bones, but I felt that was probably just pushing the envelope a bit too far. So the other one on my short list, which I was quite pleased with, actually, I thought I thought it was a bit of an inspired link with the theme, uh, was Accept's 1986 album, Russian Roulette. Very good. Yeah, and we're, and we're, we're grateful to you because it's been a blast going back to it. We've had uh, ah, just a great listen. Um, so, Richard? After the conversation we had um, and, uh, you know, the idea of a spinning top, I thought, well, we haven't had the uh, little old band from Texas on the podcast yet and it might be worthwhile that they make an entrance. And I thought, well, look, what the hell? Uh, I'll, let's pick maybe my favourite of theirs ever album and it's uh yeah the third album tres hombres very good what did you pick steve to be honest i, I gave this precious little thought because as soon as i thought of this one i thought that's it I, I needn't look no further and i have chosen um from 1985 warriors fighting for the earth which is just one of those albums that just resonates so much with me and i, and I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to it i can't wait to talk about it um and i will do just that in a few minutes when we've had a little listen to uh, a few tracks from these three albums. Well, now 
If that doesn't whet, whet your appetite, then then frankly nothing will. You've got a cold, dead heart. So it's time that we get on and uh, talk about it. And we do this in chronological order of the albums released. So that means that Richard is kicking off tonight's show uh, with ZZ Top's third album from 1973. Talk to us about Trisombras. Um, I've had this album for years and years and years. When I checked out the year of recording, I was actually shocked because I... <laughs> it was recorded later than... I mean, 1973. I mean, my goodness, yeah. So, well, everybody knows ZZ Top, don't they? Surely. Um, little band from Texas. So, yeah, this was their third studio album. A little bit of history. For those who don't know, I mean, Crumbs, they formed in 1969. I mean, how amazing is that? They recorded their first couple of albums, you know, ZZ Top's first album, and then Rio Grande Mud. But I suppose this... Tres Hombres, their third studio album, is is the album where they discovered the sound. They worked with some amazing people and uh, just recorded some amazing, amazing songs. Opening album sleeve notes. So yeah, it was recorded sometime. I couldn't find some specific dates. Sometime in the first half of 1973. It was released on July the 26th. Uh, they were uh, actually uh, signed to London, uh, which was uh, the American affiliate of the UK's Decca record label. Uh, shade over 33 minutes, 10 songs, three minutes a song, no filler. Thank you very much. It was uh, produced by uh, Bill Ham, who was the, 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 the guy that did so much for them in terms of manager and producer I mean, and their image maker. The first recordings were done in Robin Hood Studios in Texas, but then they moved to Arden Studios in Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, to do 
all the various layers and overdubs and finishing and mixing and everything else. As well as Bill Ham, it's probably worth mentioning that um, a key guy that they got in for this album was a guy called Terry Manning um, as their, their mixer and engineer. And I think it's really him that helped them produce the sound on this album that became you know, the ZZ Top sound. Uh, and an amazing range of, of work uh, as Terry Manning. He was the, the, the mixer engineer on Led Zeppelin three, but then he also worked in Memphis for Stax Records, producing the wonders of things like Respect Yourself and I'll Take You There, those sort of soul classics. So I think if you think about where soul meets Led Zeppelin, I think it could be this album. Uh, right, in terms of people... Billy Gibbons, uh, you might know him on guitar and vocals. A guy called Dusty Hill on bass and backing vocals. And Mr. Beard, Mr. Frank Beard on, on drums. Uh, although, interestingly, on this album, he was credited as Rube Beard. Uh, I don't quite know why. I've never found that fact out. A uh, bit of additional harmonica from a guy called James Harmon. And, yeah, so and it did. Yeah, this is what really made started to make them, I guess, uh, chart-wise. I mean, it did pretty well in, in the US. Uh, I mean, it, it got to... Uh, to number eight in the, in the Billboard charts and spent around 81 weeks on there. In terms of tracks, there are 10 of them, five on one, five on two, and they are Wait for the Bus, Jesus Left, Just Left Chicago, Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers, Master of Sparks, Hot, Blue and Righteous, and Side 2, Move Me Down the Line, Precious and Grace, Lagrange, Shake, and Have You Heard. It's certainly got probably my favourite track, track that they've ever recorded on it and i think it's absolutely marvelous gentlemen have you enjoyed rediscovering it it's just a fantastic album it's just a quality fusion you know one or two bands can do that fusion of sort of rock and blues and boogie and funk and soul what this album and what zz top did on this album that no other band i don't think have done as well is add in wit innuendo and just charm and bags of charm and it just sounded like the whole thing was an absolute riot they just didn't take themselves seriously at all they just looked and sounded like they were having an absolute ball just priceless such a fun album loved it um it's a it's a great album because they touch so many different spaces and places musically across the 10 tracks it's, it's actually a masterclass of musical style and form and shape and and an absolute joy to listen to. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time with ZZ Top. And what's been really interesting about it as well is you can draw lines from tracks on this album to where they ended up 10 years later uh, when you couldn't move on MTV for the videos. Okay, right. Well, uh, let's give it a listen. Right, so say 10 tracks, five on each side, and side one opens with... Uh... <laughs> I think the shortest set of lyrics um, uh, I've ever seen uh, is a track called Waiting for the Bus, and it literally is about waiting for a bus and getting on a bus, <laughs> and the bus taking you where you want to go. All in, uh, I think, nine lines, and they've written a three-minute song about it, but it just lays it all out. It lays it all out where they're going. The, the picking guitar, the groove, the, the interplay the, between the guitar and the harmonica on the solos i mean terry manning when uh, he was he, he was asked about the sound he was trying to create because actually he, he heard them he it wasn't that they approached him he heard them and decided that he wanted to work with them because uh, uh, he thought he had yeah you know, they had such potential and, and he felt that there was this balance in terms of his sonic ideal between something being 
powerful and tight and sonically pure as possible, but also a bit dirty and funky. This track is just exactly that. It is. I wonder I wonder if there's something a little bit impish about this whole lyrical content as well. Because, I mean, blues throughout history has just been full of utterly vacuous songs, isn't it? They, they got fuck all meaning at all. And this is just so kind of, you know, it's just, there's just nothing to it. It's just, as you say, it's a bloke waiting for a bus with his bag in his hand. And I thought he was coming out of prison. That was my initial thought. But Dusty Hill insists it's, it's a working man's song. But so cool. So cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a song about getting on a bus. It's a song about waiting for a bus. <laughs> yeah. It's about the anguish and the, the stress of actually having to wait for a bus for a long time. Yeah, great song. Really, really loved it. And before Waiting for the Bus ends, the second track starts, and there's uh, various stories about whether this was a mistake or deliberate in terms of splicing one track, almost overlapping uh, another. But anyway, I, I think personally it works really well because you've just enjoyed the first track of this album and then just as you think it's going to finish geez just left chicago bursting <laughs> the, the first two lines jesus left chicago and he's bound for new orleans i mean what more can you say <laughs> i visualize it personally just brilliant brilliant second track you know we go a four four track into a three eight track just for those of you who are interested <laughs> uh, obviously already but never mind. Played uh, on uh, uh, Billy Gibbons' Sunburst, uh, Les Paul, 1959. Incredible solo. The guitar apparently is, is named Miss Pearly Gates, which I think is a beautiful name for a guitar. <laughs> it's great. It's just, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, just lyrically, it's got that lovely slide guitar going on. Things easy topics. You you forget that they're just a three-piece. Yeah, and because they, they do everything so seamlessly effortlessly beautifully and you know they, they, they just make this amazing noise just the three of them i mean you can say the same thing about motorhead <laughs> but is anybody else getting a, a heavy dose of ride on well it is isn't it yeah I mean, it just is isn't it i mean but that's that's what this sort of 12 bar blues thing is isn't it it's, it, it will it will lead to tracks like that and this and that's why we love them both i think i guess i mean it is ride on isn't it um but they're not the only two bands who have who have done this kind of song to this kind of tune but the story of the, how the song got its name, wasn't it a phone call? Phone call to a friend or a brother or something, and he just signed off with, you know, Jesus just left Chicago, and we thought, yeah, that would do. But interestingly, <laughs> what, what I love about that conjoin, that segue that, that doesn't work but does, is that apparently the, the, the tracks now are pretty much inseparable. When they do their set lists, they just write this down as Bus Jesus. The two, yes. the, the, yeah. two, the two are just played together. And the interesting thing is that because the join's so odd, isn't it? Which which makes it well. Work. Terry Manning swears that that was deliberate, doesn't he? It, 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 it does. Yeah. You know, the, the, and when once Bill Ham, who didn't get it, once they played it to Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill, they couldn't imagine it being cut in any other way. Yeah. Is isn't that the beauty of analog that he yeah. he physically yeah. cut the tape and yeah, and so it couldn't be any other way. Yeah. yeah. On to track three, we're stepping up a gear or two into a more, sort of, I guess, straight ahead, southern rock, typical, fast as easy top song, beard drinkers and hell raisers. Uh, you've got Gibson Hill on dual vocals. Good track three. Just, uh, it's, oh, it's great. I mean, this is covered um, by loads of bands, including I mean, Motorhead and Van Halen. Van Halen did a cover of this. Uh, Apparently so. Yeah. yeah. You're just sitting back and cruising now, aren't you? With track three, thoroughly enjoying yourself. Yeah. Well, if you want the first direct line to 
eliminator. This is it, isn't it? It's fantastic. That's the sort of um, I don't know. It's, it's, it just it just bounces along, doesn't it? It's, it's you can't help but love something that is so beautifully crafted as this. This is where the the, the rock comes to play, isn't it? I mean, it's where um, you know the star of the show once again. It will be throughout the throughout this album is the backbeat. This is you know more rockier than what what, what they have been doing. I love these two kind of improvised guitar sellers in this they feel improvised you know they just it's just them having a ball in the studio it just works so well and a, a, a nod to dusty hill here because his bass is absolutely phenomenal in it? okay so let's get on uh, to a track for a real life story uh track four's master of sparks i mean music wise i love the interplay between the bass and guitar and the drums that there's a love the drumming. To, uh, I mean, Mr. Beard. It sounds simple, his drumming, but it's just it, it's just just so elegant and just enough. And again, I think the pr- production on this Gibbon's voice on this particularly is fantastic. And the, you got the little eerie guitar notes in behind. Did you read about the story? This this real life story. It is uh, priceless. It's uh, even two two of them can't even verify it, can they? It's just yeah. such a good story. Tell it, yeah. tell it, you gotta tell it. It's, it's just if you don't, if you can't, if you, if people don't know it, you wouldn't believe it. So, so they knew a welder, and uh, this guy welded a steel ball out of cage wire. I guess the cage wire that's usually wrapped around stages in uh, in Texas joints. And uh, yeah, so they, they created this steel ball that they then chained to a pickup truck. They welded a pilot seat inside the said steel ball. And then uh, after several beers, drove the truck at 60 miles an hour and threw the ball into the back with one of them inside it. That then created so many sparks, it lit up the night sky. I mean, that's just absolutely brilliant. It was Billy Gibbons inside it because the other two weren't sure this had happened, apparently. And that, that's how he got the master of sparks, wasn't it? The degree. It's just a crazy story. But and that's the other thing about this: there's two or three stories on here that just that just show what yeah, you know, their heart and souls got into this album. It's, and also, you just think. Oh God! I wish I'd been friends of theirs. They were obviously in a wild old time. And yes, if you survived the somewhat terrifying prospect of being propelled out of the back of the truck in this steel cage, round steel cage, you were granted the title of Master of Sparks. One of my two favourite tracks on the album. This. No, oh, that's, yeah, that's brilliant. And sorry, so you're gonna have to explain that guitar noise because it's been bothering me. What, what are they doing there? How are they getting that sound? That that little funny sort of. Um, you know what I mean? That sound on the guitar—it's odd. I think it's just a really high chord. Yeah. Um, and then again, it's just as you say. I mean, it's just mixed at that right level. I could be wrong. I mean, uh, please, anyone mm. who does know who how that's uh, created, then, then then let us know. There was one interview with Gibbons about about who was in the cage, uh, and and his reply was, "Well, I can't really tell you, but just put it this way: I was once six foot three. <laughs> um, Right, so after those four brilliant tracks, side one, they just completely drop it for the end of the side with a, a track called The Hot Blue and Righteous. So really slow blues, much more atmospheric. I don't know about you two. I'd like to say more emotional, but it, it, it it's melancholy. It, I'm not quite sure where it is. It, I, I find it almost a bit disturbing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 
That's uh, not a word. I, that's not a word I would have used. I've got them on a on a veranda in a swing chair, just just crooning away here, me. But um, I, I I'm actually not bothered about it. It's just a bit too Pink Floyd for me. I, I, it leaves uh, me a little bit cold, if I'm honest. Steve, you're the only person I know who can utter the words a bit too Pink Floyd and make it sound utterly derogatory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's be uh, about ZZ Top. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just run with it. But I'm with you. I, I I don't much care for it either. It's all right. I just I, I feel like I wanted more of Master of Sparks. Yeah. So I kind of felt that this this just the downshift in pace doesn't work yeah. for me. I was left wanting more of the same and yeah. wasn't ready for this. And I, I find it really hard to kind of get my head around it. Let's flip over to, to side two, uh, track six, side two, track one, which um, is, uh, well, shifting style again. So move me on down the line. I mean, this is this is almost poppy. It's, um, it's almost got echoes of sort of Credence Clearwater to it. I mean, it's, I, mean, I love the harmony vocals on the chorus. Two and a half minutes of jolly good fun. It's interesting you say it, it's sort of pre-poppy. Because I'm, don't laugh, but I'm getting a bit of pre-punk here as well. I, I kind of really got a sense of Boomtown Rats in some of it, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's, 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 yeah I mean, Hanoi Roxy, yeah. 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 That's where I was going. I, I just was not expecting this at all. We've had, we've had a bombardment of the blues in all its forms on side one, some better than others. And yeah, and now we've got this incredible, I had it down as late 60s pop rock. That's where we are. I love it. I think it's a, I think it's a really great opening song, uh, opener, side opener. There are all these songs about cars and buses, but this is one of their rarer numbers about a railroad. We now get into another three tracks that just... I can just play again and again and again. And the first of them is well, probably, I don't know, the heaviest, the darkest of the, the songs on this album. Uh, it's a track called Precious and Grace. It certainly feels like more 70s British met- heavy metal drumming, the kind of drumming that mm. Ian Pace was doing or Geezer Butler. I think it's more experimental. It, it's, it's got a more complex structure. I think it packs a hell of a lot into three minutes. It's very dramatic, but then it, the story behind it is one of high drama. So it's almost like um, it's articulating the story that was the inspiration for the song, I think. And therefore, it is kind of sleazy and chilling and very clever and different again. If you take out Billy Gibbons' vocal and you just, I mean, it all picks up at about 1 minute 20, but up until that point, it's got a lot of, well, Judas Priest, I think, could have taken some inspiration from this because it is heavy. Mm. And if you just beef up the guitars, you've got a Judas Priest riff going on there. I'm not actually all that bothered by the song, I have to say. It's all right. Well, should we see um, whether the next one's yellow? Um <laughs> <laughs> So track eight, Lagrange, Lagrange, I never know quite how you're to pronounce it. Well, how does it start? Well, there's a tapping on a snare. There are some pick guitar chords. There's some mumbling vocals. And there is one of the best fills on a drum ever, ever recorded. And then into, oh my God, the best riff ever. I mean, <laughs> this, this shuffle is was inspired by John Lee Hooker, Boogie, apparently. And of course, all about um, the best little 
whorehouse in Texas, uh, the Chicken Ranch, uh, the infamous brothel in Fayette County, apparently, uh, just outside LaGrange City. Interestingly, it was closed down the year this track was released. Apparently coincidence. So this this, this song was actually a, a celebration uh, of what went on inside and what, what went on there, not um, a, a tri- you know, any kind of uh, song of condolence. Amongst my favourite songs ever and my favourite ZZ Top song ever, I think. I get that. You've also forgotten the other highlight of that opening bit, which is when he says, I'm racing, and that just kicks off and the shuffle gets better and better and better. And this, um, this is 1973, kids. I mean, bands weren't doing this, I don't think, doing this stuff quite this polished and quite this kind of focus. I mean, it's improvised and refined. It's it's incredible. And also, it's, it's under four minutes, and you'd want that outro to go on for 20 minutes. If, if you were watching them live, you could just stand there and just tap your foot away and bang your head away and just dance away all night to this song. It's also got the best lyric on the entire album. Well, I hear it's fine if you've got the time and the 10 to get yourself in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hear it's tight most every night. But now I might be mistaken. <laughs> Which is just just genius. He did a lot of speaking on the record. He just improvises speaking over bits of the song that they they then cut and they moved around. A lot they deleted, including the line, going halfway around the world and back again, was one, one line they left out. It was the Waldorf Astoria of whorehouses. You couldn't cuss or be drunk in front of the girls. And uh, when they closed it down, the, obviously it was, it was due to a reporter who did some expose. And the local sheriff was so pissed off, he broke the reporter's ribs. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so the Grange is uh, followed by a song called uh, "Shake." This sort of really sort of slower, groovy blues. It's it's hot. It's sultry. I met a shake from Mozambique. <laughs> That's the opening line. I, I love it. I mean, this is just the perfect hot, sunny afternoon song. Uh, this is this is my joint favourite song on the album. Um, but it's not shake, Richard. I must correct you. It's chic. It's got to be chic. It has to rhyme with Mozambique. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, for, for what it's worth, and just to bring you two boys down a notch or two, I, I don't get it quite so much. It's that midsection. It's just that midsection. I'm just thinking if they're going to just sit there and have a little jam, just do something a bit more with the bass line. Join in the jam instead of just sitting there banging the same two notes. Don't know. It's okay. It, it, I get the chill. I get the chill, but maybe it's a bit too chill for me. <laughs> right, so we're on to the last track. It almost starts like a soul track. It's like going to go into a sort of, you know, boogie nights or heat wave or cool on the gang, but then launches into one of Steve's favourite kind of album closers, a bit of gospel. Yeah. Uh, a track called Have You Heard? Soulful, slower, blues. It's gentle. Again, I suppose a bit like Hot, Blue and Righteous. Quite a drop on what's gone before, but some nice breaks on it and there is yeah. time for one more amazing Gibbon solo uh, before they leave you. And that's and that rescues it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that, that brings this gospel spiritual to church. I like that, um, the guitar work in this. Also, the lyrics is is he saying Nasio Te Amar, as in Jesus was born to love you? Think on that. I'm yeah. sure he is. Yeah, Jotima. This song gets right on my tears. I find it incredibly irritating. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only song on the album that I actively don't like. <laughs> 
it, it is a wonderful Gibbon solo. I'll give you that. But the rest of it, it should have stopped at nine tracks for me. That would have been perfect. Okay, well, is that your low or is it something else? Let's have some lows and no, that's from you. That, that is my low. That is my low. And um, my high, well, I scored Master of Sparks and Chic uh, equally, but if I had to take one, it would probably be Master of Sparks. Steve, what about you? That's really interesting. <laughs> um, anyway, Hot Blue and Righteous for me. Not bothered about that at all. I've said my piece. And I just, I mean, that's just La Grange, isn't it? All day long, all night long, all no. year long, forever and a day. No, wait, it is for you, but not for me. <laughs> My Maleko Steve to Hoblin Rogers is my low, and Lagrange is just genius. There we go. 1973 Tres Hombres by ZZ Top, the first of our spinners in this episode. Right, well, let's move into the mid 80s for our next couple of albums. And uh, Steve has got our next choice for this episode, and that is Fighting for the Earth by Warrior. Steve. The mid 80s. I can just breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> we're back, baby. We're back and we're fighting for the earth. And what I want to know is what the fuck the critics were doing when they were presented with this platter of dreams back in 1985. I just don't get what they didn't get. This is a gigantic gigantic album heavy metal gold so this was warrior's one and only album um in this incarnation of the band um, because within a year of its release they'd split up not to resurface again until 1998 so what a legacy they've left behind this is a, this is a classic this is a cult classic of an album so much fun and the best comparison for anyone who doesn't know it i'd say a much better man of war it's just off the scale. Yes, the riffs are pretty simple, but the song arrangements really are not. And there's some clever stuff in here. There's some great musicality, there's some great tunes. There's unbelievable singing from Perry McCarty, who is the bastard son of Dio, Oliver, Keel, Halford, Dickinson, and obviously King Diamond. So therefore, he is the perfect power metal singer. I think there's no choice. I love McCarty's voice. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Opening album sleeve notes. Just a few things. So this is Warriors, I say, Fighting for the Earth. It started life as a demo tape. The band, incidentally, were formed in the late 70s that from San Diego. Well, four of them were from San Diego and then moved to LA. And Perry McCarty, I... I discovered was a singer with um, the late, great Robin Crosby of, of Rats, um, one of his early bands in the, in the late 70s. But they sort of weave their own way through San Diego. So, so they've been around a while before they got a record deal, because this comes out in 85. On MCA in the US, Virgin 10 in the UK, they produced it themselves at Cherokee Studios, LA, and the Sunset Sound Studios, with the help of a guy called Doug Ryder, 37 minutes long. The band, so as I say, Perry McCarty on vocals, who was friends with Joe Floyd and Tommy Asakawa. They were the three together from San Diego. Those two are the guitarists. It's Floyd's band, really. And then we've got our... Diary of a Madman moment because credited on the album are Bruce Turgan on bass and Jimmy Volpe on drums. They're credited, but neither of them played on the album. Um, it was Rick Bennett who played bass and keyboards on all tracks and Liam Jason played the drums. Charts, well, I mean, I've looked high and low and it just despairs because I couldn't find anything and that's just such a sad, sad, sad state of affairs. Sales info, I've no idea. I bought it. There's definitely one sale and the track, listen, there's nine tracks, but 
one of them was just a heap of shit. And boys, I just go back to my original dispirited, depressed thought process. How 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 did this epic fantasy metal album not become part of all metal folklore? Don't get it. Don't get it. I mean, Karan gave it, I think, four Ks, didn't they? I mean, so it was it was fairly highly rated here. It is one of those that I have to put my tongue firmly in my cheek at times when yes. I do it, and then I oh, yeah. thoroughly enjoy it. It's got some brilliant tracks, uh, a couple of not-so-good tracks, uh, but, but yeah. it's very fun to listen to it again. I think part of the reason as well is the, the, clue, the clue's in the name a bit, because they were, and the whole album is, about eco-warriors, isn't it? They they are environmentalists, or what have been. They got tagged with a, a label perhaps they didn't understand. Also not helped, I suspect, by the fact they were on MCA, which didn't exactly have a massive track record of promoting rock bands, and certainly not power metal bands. Mm. So I think that, yeah, the, the, the world was against them. The world they were trying to save mm. let them down. Oh, it's great. It's great. I love it. I love it. I've always loved it, and it's been absolutely brilliant to spend a week with it. So Fighting for the Earth kicks off with the title track. And I always said that My Mother Was a Witch, She Was Burned Alive, was my favourite opening track. And indeed, it is still one of my favourite lyrics. But face to face, eye to eye, wielding the axe, the mighty all must die. The volume and level and with the kind of anguish and agony and torment that Perry McCarty delivers that lyric. It's a beauty. It's And I love it when an opening track absolutely blows you away. I remember the first time you played me this, Mark, I just simply had not expected anything to be quite this good. Th- 35 years later, I put it on now, and there are points during this song where I still get goosebumps. There's some good songwriting going this, and Fighting for the Earth is a great song. Just magnificent. Cloak and dagger, conspiracy of hate. Hear the cry before it's too late. And then, when you come to that bit, you've got that th- those three tempo changes. Oh, it's genius. Oh, it's genius. I love it. <laughs> are you spent, Steve, now? I'm done. I'm done. I've emptied. It's a fantastic opening track, isn't it? Although you probably wouldn't agree with my suggestion that Defenders of Creation might have been a better opening yeah. track and they yeah, swapped yeah. them to, for this to kick off side two. Okay. But it's just an anthemic fist-in-the-air slice of power metal, isn't it? I think it's very brave, because you're absolutely right. It is laid and structured, and there's nothing predictable about it. All right, the riff's a bit predictable, hmm. fair enough. But the actual song structure isn't predictable. You don't anticipate after the first chorus it just drops they, they drop a gear and then they bring it back but you kind of expect it to be fairly consistent across the whole piece and it's not yeah this is a great great open and, and a fabulous outriff on it as well yeah richard it's brilliant i mean it's huge explosive as a track it's up there with the best but it really has set a bar for the rest of the album <laughs> yeah the problem brilliant brilliant power metal track great start but there's so much interest to come, and you know, Mark and I alluded to the to the songwriting skills, and only the strong survive is next, um, where they immediately change it up a bit. They go a little bit Judas Priest on us with with this song, which rolls along at a, a lovely pace. Again, plenty of sort of punctuated guitar licks. But then this song goes so interesting, it drops out, then the bass line comes in, but not in a conventional showing off kind of way. It's just kind of a backdrop to, you know, what's almost a jam. Um, it's a really interesting section, then crashes out of that, gallops towards the line. There's still a lot going on. I like it. I, I really like it. I think, you know, it's a good second song. It's really nice against the first one. Very different. I like the opening. It's more measured. So here's the thing for you. The, the start with the harmonics, it, it's Girl Gone Bad by Van Halen. 
I like it. It's up there with the opener for my favourite track of the album. He tries to hold it back a little bit, vocal-wise, at least for a little while. For a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this has been quite a grower over this uh, last week or so listen to this album. It's got a lovely gallop to it, Mark, hasn't it? Yeah, lovely galloping riff, but with some really nice melodies overlaid on top of it. And it's just a great example of kind of classic 80s power melodic rock. There's all sorts of interesting stuff going on it. And that's what I like about Warrior is that yeah. it's not just in your face riffing. There's some thought and there's texture and there's light and shade. And yeah, this is a really good example of it. Track three is... Ruler, and again, it's you. You put the start of this track on. You listen to the first thirty seconds of this track, and you're not going to second guess how the chorus is going to sound. Another belting riff, more theatrics from McCarty vocally, and, and it's a good track that is then elevated to near greatness by one of Floyd's guitar solos. One of very many super, absolutely superb solos on this album, and it's not just the quality of the guitars; it's the underlying backbeats to all these guitars. What's a really good rhythm section they've got whenever their guitarists, either Floyd or Ascal, are playing. Good song. You're right. You wouldn't predict the chorus. And it has grown on me, this track. I still don't think it's one of the strongest on the album. but Yeah, it's, it's not not quite as good for me as the opening two. I like the riffs. I like the sort of drum-driven chorus, but probably not surprisingly, it did start to grate on me after a while. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a distinctive singing style, isn't it? He, goes, he gives it his full Rob Halford on, um, on Mind Never Matter, which is the side one closer. But it's not just him. I mean, the whole song's got rapid fire all over it. That's what I've written down. <laughs> rapid fire. It's naturally a stonker of a track. Uh, I, I think I like it because it's one of the more straightforward numbers on the album, done at pace. So, yeah, it ticks several boxes for me. It's not as good as rapid fire. No. And I scored rapid fire in the high sixes. So oh, okay. that probably tells you where this is going to be for me. But, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's got more Judas Priest than Judas Priest about it, though. <laughs> Yeah, I got the flanging stuff at the beginning. Although some people compared it to Armored Saints. Did you see that, Steve? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. Absolutely get that. Yeah, I get that as well. Yeah, for me, I mean, compared to some of the earlier stuff on this side, this one just doesn't go anywhere, does it? I mean, it's just this all the way through. Um, anyway, yeah. So we turn over, we turn over, and we turn over to a cult track. Um, this is Defender of Creation, and it's a, and it's a it's a fantastic start of the side. It's a nice opening into a thumping riff, and then an absolute earth splitting shackles from McCarty, and we're into the powerhouse of a chorus, stripped back again, big chorus again. Again, there's complexity, and there's an absolute smorgasbord of fantasy metal delight, and then a really mildly annoying outro with some silly voices, which still don't spoil the absolutely colossal riff no, that takes you out. I do not, no. I mean, if you want a masterclass in composing a guitar solo that actually works in absolute tandem with the track, then you've got it here. Absolutely colossal track. It's got elements of Blue Oyster Cult. You could imagine it just, in, also in not only in the title and the, so the, the subject matter and some of the the way the words are sung, you can imagine uh, Buck Dama Rosa doing some of this. Where would I put this? I think that this is the album finisher. This is the big epic. Yeah. They're hallowed be thy yeah. name. Yeah. 
quite so where would we put day of the evil brackets beware close brackets um well we put it where it is which is the second track on side two proper fast proper heavy solo to match kind of a bit like mind over matter in that respect it's rather straight ahead it's one of the weaker songs on there it's not a, not a classic by any stretch it's not a patch on the quality of what's got just gone before it certainly where i get my most armored saint parallels are probably with the next song which is um cold fire it's a slowy ladies and gentlemen and quite dark um and it's framing so they strip it right back but then after a minute or so uh, there's an opportunity to to actually appreciate what a what a decent voice mccarty had because he does he sings this rather than screams it and it's um i think he's quite a nice singer what stands this apart from being, you know, just a run-of-the-mill, slow-tempo chugger is some of the interplay between Asakawa and Floyd. we got some Spanish guitar in there as well, some harmonics. But yeah, no, it's all right. I, I, I don't mind this. It's got hints of Menachetti in the guitar work, mm, I think. Yeah, yeah. I read somewhere from Rick Bennett, the bass player, that the inspiration for the song, as you will know, was a fantasy sci-fi film called Zardoz featuring Sean Connery, which I've never heard of. And that the chord progression is a rock interpretation of Beethoven's Seventh. What I will say about Cold Fire is because after a slight anticlimax, what you're crying out for is a big finish. And wow, you know, they can provide the big finish. Forget PTM1, which is just 30 seconds or so of bollocks. And welcome aboard with Welcome Aboard, which is an awesome rocker. What a great, great album closer. I mean, it's basically, you know, Crash Bang, Crash Bang Anthem. And I mean Anthem. Loads of guitar runs, some wandering bass playing from Bennett, and a and just a really brilliant finish where the whole band is on point, right on the money. I think it's a I think it's a really, really strong closer. I'm very happy with Welcome Aboard. Well, for many, many years, this is my favourite track on the album. Okay, uh, yeah. It's not quite now, but um, it's very, very close. I absolutely love it. I think it's just got such a hooky chorus. And yeah. The arrangement on it is just exceptional, I think. Yeah. And if you can just kind of ignore the lyrics, it's, it's it's brilliant. It's a great way to end the album. Yeah, good finish, isn't it? I mean, it starts off a bit Twisted Sister, sort of kids are back, I thought. Yes. Yeah. And it ends up almost, I don't know, more sort of heavy AOR. Yeah, a bit journey, a little bit heavier foreigner, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a decent finish. Good, good, good. So there you have it. Their one and only album of the eighties, "Fighting for the Earth" by Warrior. What what your highs, what your lows, then, boys, Mark? So my low is "Mind Over Matter." Really, I've never really much cared for it. Um, it's all a bit too sub Judas Priest me and. Uh, Defenders of Creation just about takes it from Welcome Aboard. Okay. Uh, for me, Cold Fire uh, gets my low, and uh, it's still still the opening track, still the title track uh, for me, for my high. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Uh, and my low is uh, Day of the Evil, Beware, that's my low. So there you have it, Warrior and Fighting for the Earth. So I reckon we fast forward, what, a year, two years, can't remember now, to Accept and Russian Roulette. And Mark, some more Teutonic majesty, if you please. Yes, are we ready for some German heavy metal? I'm always ready for some German heavy metal. Um, so when Russian Roulette turned up on uh, eventually, I was extraordinarily pleased to be able to um, bring this one along and quite excited. And if you'd asked me two weeks ago 
what I thought of Russian roulette, I think I would have been quite dismissive about it because it came immediately after Metal Heart, which I love, um, but it came you know, after a run of what I think were three exceptional albums in Rest and Wild, Balls to the Wall and Metal Heart. And this at the time just felt a bit kind of substandard, but I no longer feel that way. It is, I think, classic, except it's not without flaws. It's got some absolutely brilliant moments as well. I've been really pleased. I, I've come out of this with a huge amount of affection for this album. Opening album sleeve notes. So a, a bit of background on it. It was released in April 1986, April the 21st to be exact. They laboured long and hard on it between October 85 and January 86. It was released on the RCA label in Europe and on Portrait in America. It's the longest album of this show. As a whopping 43 minutes and 17 seconds produced by the band themselves at the Dieter Dirks studios in Stommein in Cologne in Germany and Dieter Dirks obviously that almost umbilical cord between Accept and the Scorpions and there are moments with each band you can hear the other one on it this is the classic Accept lineup of Udo Dirk Schneider on vocals Wolf Hoffman on guitars Jörg Fischer also on guitars Peter Baltes on bass and Stefan Kaufman banging away like a banshee on the drums notable mentions Michael Wagner was the engineer on it he'd engineered previous accept albums as well and also went on of course to produce in his own right um, for Dokken among many others um, this reached number 80 on the UK chart I mean dizzy heights for accept I think and it got to 114 in the Billboard on the Billboard 200 spending nine weeks there just as a matter of trivia as accept spent their ninth and final week on the Billboard chart ZZ Top's Eliminator had climbed another eight places spending its 169th week on the chart <laughs> um, so there are two bands that we're dealing with in this uh, episode of the podcast with very different fortunes in America. So the album itself, 10 tracks, five on each side, side one, TV War, Monster Man, Russian Roulette, It's Hard to Find a Way, Aiming High, and side two, when you flip it over, Heaven is Hell, Another Second to Be, Walking in the Shadow, Man Enough to Cry, and Stand Tight. As I say, I've grown to really like it over the last week. How did you two get on? Oh, it's fantastic. You have to play it end to I can't believe if you play this album, you have to play it end to end because you have to listen to, you have to get to Stand Tight, one of the campest, most joyous pieces of mid-European, mid-80s rock you'll ever come across. Oh, it's just a brilliant finish. Definitely getting a lot more references to um, Restless and Wild and Balls to the Wall than Metal Heart. I think they were trying to sort of strip it back a little bit, going a bit darker, a bit earlier perhaps. This is just accepting all their, in all their Teutonic glory, isn't it? It's gleefully and joyfully, this is pre-Google Translate, so we can laugh and mock at the lyrics left, right and centre and have fun at their expense, which is very childish, but that's what we do. This is accepted their most successful. I saw an interview with Udo. He said that the Russian roulette tour in Europe, which they did with Doc in the UFO, was their most successful ever. So they were clearly at the sort of peak of their powers. Um, and then he got fired next week, didn't he? So um, from his own band, which is, quite, <laughs> which is quite something. There's just so many good songs in this album. Having played it end to end this week, that won't be the last time. Richard? I've enjoyed it a lot. I, I didn't know it at all as an album. It's interesting, isn't it? They talk about the stories of them trying to go back to balls to the wall after Metal Heart. Uh, but having listened to the three, I don't know. It, 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 I think the production on this album isn't as good as the previous two. I think that lets it down a little bit. Uh, Songwriting-wise, it's pretty consistent. There's a couple that are scoring higher than others, but I wouldn't say there are any on there that absolutely belted me round the chops like 
one or two on their previous two albums. Interesting. Well, let's give it a listen and uh, see where those um, flaws in the diamond are, shall we? Okay, so the album starts with TV War, and a bit like Restless and Wild, they come out of the blocks like a jackrabbit with this thundering riff, fast as a shark opening speed. Listen to this. Struggle with it the first couple of times, but I absolutely love it now because it is like being hit repeatedly in the face with a jackhammer. And I, and I quite like it now. It's got a brilliant chorus as well. But those guitars, fucking hell. <laughs> it has. And also, Kaplan's got to be using a, a, a double drum bass. And he, and he rich on this one, surely? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this is great. I love the pace of it. It is exactly that. It's, it's what you expected when Faster Shark and um, Killer Riff, great chorus, powerhouse of a song, Udo leaving nothing out there. Nonsense, gibberish lyrics. Yeah, it's a great start. Yeah, it's a no compromise opener, isn't it? I mean, 100 miles an hour. I do feel they've, uh, they're doing their own covers on this album on <laughs> occasions do you know what I mean it's an interesting opener I'd have probably swapped this with the next track there are tracks on the album that I think I could hear as a, an album opener but I'm not sure the next one is one of them because Monster Man is um, it's classic Wolf Hoffman's wife as much as anything else yeah um, his wife famously helps with the songwriting with um, with Accept and um, I, I can hear this on Metal Heart I can hear this on Balls to the Wall I can it's just got great hook line it's got a fantastic riff the hook line is really catchy i've been singing it all bloody week it's driven me mad never mind anybody else in the house i I love this track it's it's an absolute highlight for me but i i wouldn't i don't see it as an opener i just think it's exactly that it's this is it's typical except isn't it it's the riffs it's infectious it's catchy it's like a big warm blanket (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a little bit too groovy, if I'm honest, for for an opening track. I'm I'm definitely with um with the the right way around. And so the the guitar in the verses, that little hook, that riff in the, I'm getting Dokken. No wonder they toured with Dokken. I think a lot rubbed off. I'm getting back for the attack. I'm getting something like Standing in the Shadows or something like that in that in that guitar line through the through the verses. Okay, so the next track up is the title track. Steve mentioned the the album cover and um you've got to fall in love with a band that dress up as russian cossacks around a around a war team i think i probably wasn't going to buy this album i think i probably bought it on the strength of the album cover anyway this is another um anybody getting a bit of balls to the wall oh. and the sort of spoken bit in balls to the wall from from the title track here just a little and not and this isn't um, the only time no but again it's another classic accept song in structure in style in form an anthemic sort of shouty chorus i mean this is balls to the walls balls to the wall with a wig on (laughs) it's even less cheery it's even more gloomy it's even darker i was just surfing and i went on to songbpm.com because i thought this must have been written in d minor because i find that's the saddest of all keys (laughs) i'm quoting directly from songbpm.com it said russian roulette is a moody song by accept it has a high energy and is not very danceable. And I'm thinking, hello, fucking Mr. SongBPM.com. You might not be able to dance to it, but actually, I'm happy. I'm happy jigging along to this baby. I think it's lovely. The other thing I like about this song, one of the lyrics in the first verse goes, you make me eat myself and scream in pain in vain. When I first heard it, I could have sworn Udo said, you make me eat myself in cream and pain and wine. I thought it was a recipe. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just so good. I love this bit. I think it's an absolute beast. 
Okay, so title track goes out. It's hard to find a way it comes in. The thing about Accept is they have this happy knack of being able to write a really catchy tune, but stuff it with brilliant riffs. And this, for me, has has been a grower over the week, because at first I was thinking, what's this shit then? But it really picks up. There is a bit of warfare and a horror in the delivery, I have to say. Your thought process on this is really, really interesting. I just don't, I'm not with you at all, because I've tried to get to grips with this at all. I, I like that kind of hysteria opening on guitar, by the way. I think that's quite nice. But, but then you've got the lovely build-up, and then, unfortunately, 30 seconds in, bang. Just when you're expecting something massive, you get something just a little bit wimpy by accept standards, I think. More head over heels than balls to the wall, if I was doing a comparison with, um, with balls to the wall. There's a nice solo in this, but I'm just I'm just getting a slightly heavier starship, and that's probably about as insulting as I could be. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. I, I just think after the sort of the onslaught of the first three tracks, I'm quite happy to be yeah. sort of taken somewhere else at this point. I no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I, I like the onslaught. Yeah, they're trying to mix it up a bit, aren't they? It's super harmonised chorus, isn't it? They've wound the riffs back, which is why you're not so sure about it, Steve. I think I'm kind of in the middle of with this one. It was. It's been enjoyable to listen to. A bit different for them. Yeah, it's a bit different for them. I get the sense, Steve, that you think the band at this point should have been aiming higher. Oh, so get me on to aiming aim higher. Oh, so <laughs> side one closes with aiming high, which is an absolutely monstrous slice of accept doing what accept do best, which is just riffing their way out of the first side of an album yeah, it's blinding yeah we get the paces back and also you notice when the pace is back when they really step it up udo goes even more gravelly and yeah this is this is accepted their absolute hard rocking best love it that maiden gallop i love aiming high yeah i thought you would steve it's okay it's fast it's it's a typical go out on a high side one isn't it but uh, it, it feels like They've done this before. And and your point is? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It... <laughs> well, let's see if the more considered and moody side two opener floats your boat then, Richard, because I think Heaven is Hell, which is a seven-minute slice and the longest song that we have listened to this week. But this, I think, is a very interesting choice to open side two because it, it is not typical except this is this is almost your it's not quite winter dreams, is it? But it's it's more kind of Prince um Princess of the Dawn and Oh, yeah, yeah. so it's slower it's more considered it's got it's still got brilliant riff I think it's a bit messy in places but again nothing to dislike about it from my point of view but we're, we're, we've opened with balls to the wall again though, haven't we yeah they really have pulled it out oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again and write it about religion shall we yeah I love it when Udo starts rapping against the organ, which again is a kind of a, a take on the sort of rappy bit from Bulls to the Wall as well. Prices and then the Oberleutnants march in, and it, it's just great musical cabaret. And no one hams it up quite like accept musically. They're just so over the top. Brilliant. I would have loved to be in the studio watching them sing this chorus together. So track two, side two, is an absolute highlight for me. One of one of the, the big highlights on the album. Another second to be 
and uh, they're not doing anything new. They're reinventing stuff that they've done before, and that's absolutely fine with me. I suspect this is a leftover from the Metal Heart sessions yeah, too. because it really sounds like Metal Heart. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah, yeah I, I, so I don't quite share your joy with this one. Punchy little number, gallops along. Love the finish. Do love the finish to this, but yeah, it's it's okay. I like the riff on this. It, it, it's very reminiscent of Love Drive. It's okay. It's okay for me. But it's followed by what for me is, uh, and uh, I'm interested in your view on this, Steve. This is my low light on the album. I think this is a this is a definite misstep. Walking in the shadow. It doesn't really know what it wants to be. I think is that the best you could do with the chorus? Well, if if they're going to do a song called Walking in the Shadow, you'd expect the chorus to contain the lines Walking in the Shadow, though, wouldn't you? I mean, what, do you know what it's about? No, go on. The first verse goes, All my fire ain't gone inside, only with you I will survive. And I live in the shadow of this wall with 58,000 all in all. Any ideas? Well, let me tell you. It's an anti-war album, as you know. The Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., also known as The Wall, contains the name of 58,000 names. Oh. Contains 58,000 names. So there you go. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a, an homage to, um, to the Vietnam vets in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, there you go. I like this. Double bass drum back, slowish tempo, banger, slightly menacing backing vocals, which I accept. It's fine. I, I think I like it more than you. I like this one. Yeah, it's amongst my Actually. I like the big deep, the super deep chorus. I like the classic accept. Yeah. One of my favourites, this one. Okay, well, we'll move on to the penultimate track on the album then, which is a, a little ditty called Man Enough to Cry. Every time I've heard this this week, I thought, I've heard this before, uh, and I have not been able to put my finger on it. I think I know what it is. It's Miss You by the Stones. That's it. That's exactly what it is. Well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. And accept say goodbye to their contribution to 1986's metal music with talk about panto it's um it's called stand tight it is absolutely yeah i mean frankly you're you're not just in the delicatessen you're in the fucking cheese cabinet now <laughs> um i absolutely love it but you have to put your tongue firmly in your cheek because this is fist pumping everything else pumping anthem it's funny it's relentlessly and, and irritatingly catchy and it's a great way to end the album it really is catchy it's so catchy you can tell by the first verse my bones are trembling veins are filled with ice i see you swagger through and your boots are shiny too i just think it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, genius genius i'm glad google translate wasn't around it it would have diluted some of this stuff and it just wouldn't have had the same appeal it's so camp so joyous what a giggle love it but also there's a really decent tune running through that as well you know let's not yeah. just pretend it's a piss take because it's not it's a cracking track it's it's a good one to close isn't it but the problem is that we all stand together it, it just instantly reminded me of paul mccartney's frog chorus <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good association. That's not <laughs> good. I thought Starship was bad. Oh, bloody hell. 
It's all right. Come on then. Highs and lows, boys. Mm. Highs and lows. Richard, let's start with you. I honestly don't know. Still, after even talk, even after talking about it, I actually don't know what you really think about the album. So your score is going to be really interesting. Mm. It's all a bit middling for me in terms of you know, lows and highs. The lowest I'll give to Man Enough to Cry. And as I said, I like Walking in the Shadow, but I'll give my high to Monster Man. Steve? Mm, I, I do like those two epics, Heaven is Hell and the title track. Probably give it to Heaven is Hell. Um, yeah, it's hard to find a way. It's hard to find much to say about that. Fair enough. Uh, I'm with Richard on the low. Uh, Man Enough to Cry would be my weak spot on the album. And, well, in fact, I am with Richard on this because Monster Man is and always has been my top track on Russian Roulette. So there you go. That completes the three-album review for this edition of the podcast. The next thing that we need to go away and do is do the scores and come back in a little while and see where everything has landed. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. All right, then. The scores are in. So here we go. How did our three albums in this round and around episode 43 get on? So first off was me. Tres Hombres by ZZ Top and uh, scores are as follows. Steve gave it a 7.3, Mark a 7.63 and me, not surprisingly, an 8.1 and that gave ZZ Top an overall score of a 7.67. Steve, what about Warriors fighting for the earth? Okay, yeah. Well, I can't believe you guys didn't give the title track 10. I mean, you guys. But anyway, you gave it a score of 7.18, Mark gave it a score of 7.78 and I gave it a big round fat 8.04 for a total score of 7.65833 and that leaves accept and Russian roulette and what yeah and I think that that ended up where where the discussion took it really uh, somewhere in the middle Uh, Steve you gave it a 7.45 which you gave it 6.95 and I scored it um, quite a big 8 8.1 I suppose if we're rounding up uh, to give it an overall score of 7.49 yeah interesting interesting but we ought to see where they've ended up in the list, the big list. So let's open the Hall of Fame. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Okay, so here we are in the hallowed Hall of Fame. As Steve said at the uh, top of the show, there were 126 albums in there. There are now 129. So the three albums from this episode are fairly close together in the list, except uh, scored the lowest in the evening. So they come in at number 66 between Ace of Spades and Slippery When Wet. And then next up, well, a bit of a jump to 45, which is Warrior, who come in. Well, I mean, (laughs) every time I look at this list, I think, oh, my God, how difficult is it to get traction here? Because Warrior have come in under Van Halen's debut album, which by any stretch is a brilliant album. So that shows you how good we think Warrior is. And uh, just below it, Appetite for Destruction. And I think uh, Joe Perry and co. would have been quite happy if, if somebody had said to them, do you know what, there are three blokes who will think that your album is better than Appetite for Destruction. I think they've taken that. Uh, two places above them, though, ZZ Top, who climb in just above Van Halen, just below Kiss's debut album with Trey Zombres. What do you think about that? I think that's about right. Reflects the conversation, I think, from my point of view. What about you two? ZZ Top, I feel, is keeping the right company. I think Warrior, yeah, have done very well. So as Steve said earlier, an underrated gem. And except, I think actually they've done pretty well. I'm amazed that it's scored between us higher than Balls to the Wall, frankly. Yeah, no, I've just just clocked that. That is... 
I thought Borstal is a better album than Russian Roulette. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're, um, we're, we're talking about these, we've got 130 albums in the, in the list and these albums are down in the 40s and 50s. So you're thinking, God, yeah, they're mid division, they're mid range. These are great albums. These are great albums. This is such a, this is such a tough list to crack because we're doing so many good albums inevitably. It's fascinating. I thought of the, 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 the surprises there, not the Warriors where it is because I love it to bits and I knew I'd elevate it. I thought Trey's Ombros would be a bit higher. Re fell in love with it when I played it again. And um... if you'd scored it a bit higher, Steve, it would be. So <laughs> I think my observation about Accept, I think Russian Roulette is a more consistent album. And we've always said that consistency is king. And, and I do think, I, I still believe Balls to the Wall has, has much a much bigger gap between yeah. the best song yeah. and the worst song. Whereas Russian Roulette might not be as awesome at times as Balls to the Wall, and it's not. But actually, all of those songs are pretty solid. So anyway, well, there you go. There you go. An interesting evening. This is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Right, so that wraps up our episode number 43 of Enter Sad Men, uh, where we've been reviewing ZZ Top and Warrior and Accept all around our theme of spinning things, rotating things round and round. So once again, thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you found that interesting. I hope you found that inspiring. And if you haven't uh, checked out any of these three albums before, please do go and give them a listen because they're well, well worth it. We're off now to work out just what we're going to be listening to between this episode and the next one. So uh, stay tuned and thanks again for listening. See ya. 